Well, once again, we are walking through the book of Nehemiah, at least hitting the high points of Nehemiah's life. And um, I'm excited about this morning. This morning's message is entitled, Visions Require Action. And, you know, visions tell us a lot about what God is doing in our lives. And we're going to see that this morning. You know, I came across as I was preparing for this message um, some lines from actual resumes. You know, it's been a long, long time since I've had to actually write out my resume. Um, And, you know, I know that today there are great helps when it comes to resumes. You can actually hire somebody to write your resume for you. You you at least should have someone proof your resume for you if you're going to apply for a job. I came across some of these lines from um, resumes, and some of these are kind of old lines, and some of them are newer, but one of them was this. I have learnt WordPerfect 6.0 computer and spreadsheet programs. Um, not, Not a good one. I received a plague for salesperson of the year. It is best for employers that I not work with people. I'm a perfectionist and rarely, if, if ever, forget details. I have become completely paranoid Trusting completely no one and absolutely nothing. That's the person to hire right there. I was instrumental in ruining an entire operation for a Midwest chain store. I like this one. I finished eighth in my class of ten. References, none. I've left a path of destruction behind me. That would probably be mine right there. You know, Nehemiah, when we think about Nehemiah, Nehemiah didn't have much of a resume. Okay, if you remember from last week's study, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. That was a position that absolutely no one wanted. Okay, because what did the cupbearer do? The cupbearer took the first drink from the cup of wine to make sure that the cup had not been poisoned. And so that was Nehemiah's resume. But what we're going to see this morning, we're going to see this, that it doesn't really matter what you have done in the past. What matters is what you're going to do in the future. And for Nehemiah, what mattered is what he was going to do in the future for God. So once again this morning, um, we find ourselves looking at this sermon series entitled Nehemiah Rise Up. And this is going to be a, a, this is a sermon series that is getting us prepared for our next series called Vision 2020. So Nehemiah, when he was presented with a crisis, did not hold back, back away, or ignore it. He had gotten word that the condition of Jerusalem was not good. And so if you recall from last week, Nehemiah, when he got word about this, Nehemiah hit the ground. And he began to pray, he began to fast, he began to weep, and he really began to seek the Lord, asking the Lord for wisdom. And while Nehemiah was on the ground, we know that um, he confessed his sins, okay, he recognized that he was a sinner, 
And he also confessed the sins of his brethren, of the Jewish people, because they too were sinners. And in addition to that, he communed with God the Father and said, God, remember your covenant that you established with Moses. And that covenant was this. If, if, if the Israelites acted foolishly, if they acted independently, if they did not choose to worship God, then God was going to remove them from the promised land. And that actually happened. And then God also made a promise to Moses that if his people would pray and seek his face and repent of their sins, then he would bring them back into the land to restore them. And so over the past 70 years, Okay, that is exactly what the Lord has been doing. He's been bringing remnant after remnant after remnant of people back into Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is still in desperate need. It's a desperate need of leadership. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see Nehemiah rise up to the occasion to become the leader that the people in Jerusalem needed. Now, now the thing that I love about Nehemiah is this. Nehemiah did not remain on the ground, but Nehemiah got up. He rose up, and in, a, in next week's message, we're really, really going to see where Nehemiah goes back into Jerusalem. But what I love about Nehemiah is that he did not go through life as a spectator, did he? No, Nehemiah became a runner in the race of life. All of us in this room have been called to be runners in the race of life throughout, and we looked at this a little bit last week, throughout um, Paul's writing, throughout the New Testament throughout God's Word, we see runners in the race of life. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. Think about the race that you are in this morning. Think about the race of life that you are in. Can you see the finish line? Do you understand what, what is before you as you run this race? Do you see yourself as a runner in the race? Or do you see yourself as a spectator in the race? You know, what Hebrews 12 does is in verse 1, it kind of um, tells us a, a little bit about Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter, isn't it? And those men and women that, that, that the writer talks about being a part of this great cloud of witnesses, those are the ones that are spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. Think about some of the heroes of the faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. We read that by faith, Abel's life still preaches today, even though he was murdered by his brother. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah built a giant boat in his backyard during a time and a season that had yet to see rain. By faith, Abraham obeyed God and became the father of many nations. By faith, Sarah conceived Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed his children. By faith, Jacob blessed his sons. By faith, Joseph provided shelter for his family in Egypt. By faith, Moses delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh's captivity. By faith, the Israelites shouted and the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab hid the spies. We read about faith instance after faith instance in Hebrews chapter 11. We read about these men and women that were a part of the race. You and I too are in this race called life. And may it be said of all of us one day that by faith blank ran 
the race. That by faith, Sue ran the race. By faith, Chief ran the race. By faith, Les ran the race. By faith, all of us in this room, may it be said of us that we ran this race of life and we ran it well, and we finished well, and we crossed that finish line, and when we crossed that finish line, we were welcomed into the very arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be like Nehemiah and the other heroes of the faith and run the race set before us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Nehemiah chapter 2. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And we're going to continue to read about how Nehemiah... When, when presented with the problem, rose to the occasion and answered. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we read these words. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your faith sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should, my face be, why, not, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will, we, will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of this city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this, it pleased them greatly that someone had gone to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So Nehemiah had a vision. He had a vision that required the walls around Jerusalem to be rebuilt and the gates around Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Remember, Jerusalem was more than just a city. It was the center for Jewish worship. It was where the temple was. It was where sacrifices occurred. It was where, 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 where men entered into the presence of God on behalf of the people of God. The people were in danger. The temple was in danger. It was not good, and Nehemiah knew this. And for, for Nehemiah, the time to act was now. Our message point this morning is, is this. Nehemiah had a God-sized vision. He had a vision that had been birthed in his heart by God. Let me ask you this morning this. What vision has God birthed in your heart? If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, then you can be certain that God, too, has given you a vision of what could be if we would just yield our lives to Him. What vision has God birthed in your heart? 
Notice first this morning, Nehemiah's patience. Last week, once again, we looked at Nehemiah's profession. He was a cupbearer to the king. He was trusted by the king. He had a good relationship with the king. And as we just read, we know that he had the ear of the king. Now, a cupbearer, you can be certain that that was the lowliest of positions. Nobody would have wanted that position because to have that position meant that there was a good chance that you may die in the presence of the king. So nobody would want that. How somebody was appointed to it, I have no idea. But what I do know is this. Nehemiah was a cupbearer of the king. And we are told in verse 1 this morning, as we just read, that the particular month of the year is the month of Nisan. This date is significant because it tells us that four months have elapsed since since we were first introduced to Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1. In verse 1, we read that the month is Chitzlev. And so that is a period of four months that have gone by since the Lord revealed to Nehemiah his vision for Jerusalem. What does that tell us about Nehemiah? It tells us that Nehemiah was persistent in prayer. He was a man who constantly petitioned the throne room of God. He did not do this once. He did not just pray for a day. He did not just pray for a week. He didn't just pray for a month. But Nehemiah prayed for four straight months. For 120 days, this man was in prayer, burdened for the people of Jerusalem, asking God and seeking God for a, a, a opportunity to rise to the occasion and to be the instrument of change that was going to go into Jerusalem to bring about that change. I don't know about you, but, but I am not the most patient man in the world. Okay? If you know me, you know that I am not patient. In fact, my wife frequently reminds me that patience is a virtue. Okay? I, I, I'm not good at that. Okay? It's a fruit of the Spirit also. I am not good with either of those things. And I know some of you in this room. Okay? I've done life with you long enough to know that you don't wait very well either. And so think about Nehemiah, okay? He's been sitting on a vision that God had birthed in his heart, okay? While he's in the king's presence, while he is probably eating food off the king's table, and we know he's drinking from the the king's cup, the city of Jerusalem is still in, in ruins. The people of God are still in desperate need of, of someone to come and help them. Nehemiah prays. Nehemiah waits. And he waits upon the Lord to act through him. Nehemiah waited upon the Lord. He waited. He prayed. And on this day, God is going to finally answer Nehemiah. In verse 1, Nehemiah wrote these words. He said, now I had not been sad in his presence, meaning that that Nehemiah up to this point over the past four months had not been sad in the presence of the king. What was different about this day? What was different about this particular day? Why was he sad on this day? Well, maybe it was on this day that God had begun to speak to Nehemiah, saying that today is the day 
to act. With Nehemiah's waiting was going to come a reward. Know this, I, I read this this week, but know that waiting time is not wasted time. Know that waiting time is not wasted time. I think you and I, because we live in an impatient world and we're an impatient people and that because we don't wait well we think that every single day that we have to wait is wasted time don't we i know i do but we wait and we pray and we allow the lord to work in us so that he can work through us so after months of prayer finally god revealed to nehemiah that the time to rebuild was now when that revelation came to him, I bet he was faced with enormous anxiety. Fear probably enveloped him. Remember, he is just a cupbearer to the king. He is a nobody. He has no building experience. He has no experience. Um, he, he's never even been to Jerusalem. But yet God had birthed in his heart a vision to rebuild walls and to rebuild gates. Nehemiah is a servant. He is not a leader. But God is going to use this servant to become one of Israel's greatest leaders. And the only way, though, that this was going to happen is for him to have been given permission from the king. He was going to have to ask the king for permission. But he didn't have to ask, did he? Because the king took one look at Nehemiah on that day and he says, why is your face sad? Why is your faith sad? Nehemiah sat on this vision and he had prayed about this vision for 120 days. You know, sometimes visions take time before they really come to fruition. Those visions may take days. Those visions may take weeks. Those visions, in Nehemiah's case, may take months. They may even take years before they come to fruition. Let's look at a couple of examples in Scripture. Think about Abraham. Abraham was told by God that he would become a great nation. He was 75 years old at the time. He was married to Sarah, who was barren, meaning she couldn't have kids. And God said, you're going to be made into a great nation. Well, before he could become a great nation, he had to have kids, didn't he? Well, at the age of 100, God would finally allow Abraham to see his vision come to fruition because at the age of 100, he is going to become the father of Isaac. Think about Noah. Noah was told to build an ark, and that ark was going to provide shelter for his family. That ark took more than a couple of days to build. It took decades to build, but yet Noah waited upon the Lord. And finally, the day had come when Noah went into that ark with all of his family, closed that door, and the rains came. Think about the 12 scouts that went into the promised land. Ten said that the giants are too great for us. Only two men said that, that, that God has already given this to us. Let's go, Joshua and Caleb. Well, the punishment was that they had to wait 40 years before they could go into the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb eventually got to lead them across the, the, the Jordan into the promised land. It took 40 years before that vision became a reality. 
David was anointed king as a child, wasn't he? But he wouldn't be appointed as king until he was 30 years of age. Peter, the rock. Peter had to wait until after the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit before he became the leader of the New Testament church. Visions take time. Some of you in this room may be still sitting on a vision that God gave you years ago. And you may still be asking on this day, Lord, when is this going to happen? Folks, it may be today. It may still be weeks or months or years before it comes to a reality. Wait upon the Lord. Do not give up. I think oftentimes we give up, don't we, because we're impatient. Don't give up. Don't give up. Notice next, Nehemiah. He, he was faced with a predicament. We read in verse 2 again, And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. The king takes one look at Nehemiah and realizes that, that there is something wrong with him. First of all, okay, a person was not allowed to be in the presence of the king if they were sad. Man, you had to be happy and joyful. I mean, it had to be a time of celebration when you entered into the presence of the king. But on this particular day, Nehemiah is sad. And that posed a real problem. Because remember, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Sadness could have been equated with, with guilt. I mean, the king probably looks at Nehemiah and says, what's wrong? Not because he's concerned about his friend, but because he may be afraid that Nehemiah may have done something to his wine or may have done something with his lamb chop. And so he turns and he wants to know what is going on with Nehemiah. And on this day, Nehemiah is about to share with the king exactly what is going on within his heart. And that leads us to our next point, and it's Nehemiah's problem. In verse 3, Nehemiah wrote, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah had a problem. His problem was a people problem. He was a Jew living in the midst of a pagan kingdom. He had a proximity problem. He lived a thousand miles from Jerusalem. He had no idea how he was going to get to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around the city. He also had a security problem. The people were in danger, the temple was in danger, and the city was in danger. But Nehemiah had a vision, and that vision was for a secure Jerusalem. And that leads us to our final point this morning, and it is this, Nehemiah's plan. God had birthed a vision into the heart of Nehemiah, what could be. But before he could act, the king would have to give him his blessing. So in verse 4 we read, the king said to me, what are you requesting? And notice what Nehemiah does here. We read, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I love how Nehemiah responds right here. Okay? I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if he went to the king and said, king, let's join hands and let's pray together right now. Okay? I don't know if he went into a side room to pray. I don't think he did those two things. I think what he did was he stopped and he said a breath prayer, and he asked the Lord for boldness, he asked the Lord for clarity of mind, and he asked the Lord for the words to speak 
to the king so that the king would bless those words. I love, you know, chief frequently will say that we need to be God conscious. What does it mean to be God conscious? It means that our spirit needs to be in tune with the spirit of God 24-7. Nehemiah was God conscious. His spirit was in tune with the Father. And he knew that once he was presented with the opportunity to share, he didn't want to share his own plan, but he wanted to share God's given plan with the king. And I'll I'll tell you right now, whenever I stand before you, I always pray not that my words come through, but God's words would come through. I ask the Lord to speak to me and speak through me. And I think that's what Nehemiah is doing right here. He's asking the Lord to speak to him and through him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we read these words, pray without ceasing, pray without stopping, pray continually. The only way that we can do that is when our spirit is in tune with the spirit of God. One writer shared these words. He says, one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith is that God wants us to talk to him about everything that is going on in our lives, even though he already knows everything. So we pray. If you've ever wrestled with the question, perhaps thoughts of the 19th century preacher, R.A. Torrey, can help. Why do we pray? Why is it necessary to pray when God already knows the answer? Where R.A. Torrey shared these words. He shared that the Lord has given us reasons in Scripture for prayer. One is this, because there is a devil. And prayer is God-appointed, is a God-appointed way to resist him. You know, in Scriptures it says, resist the devil and he will flee. The devil is real. The devil is roaring around, or roaming around like a roaring lion trying to destroy us. And so we pray, asking for the Lord to give us the strength needed to resist the devil. We also pray because prayer is God's way for us to obtain what we need from Him. What does Scripture say? Ask and seek. Okay? Those aren't suggestions. Those are commands given to us by God the Father, given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek the Lord. We pray to the Lord. We ask of the Lord. And when we pray and seek and ask in accordance with God's will, guess what happens? The Lord answers us. And we also read here, because prayer is the means God has appointed for us to find grace to help in time of need. And we all need that, don't we? Man, there's going to be days in our lives that are incredibly hard and incredibly difficult. There are going to be mountains that are placed before us that are incredibly difficult to climb. So we pray to God to give us the grace needed to overcome those mountains that are before us. And we pray with thanksgiving. This is God's way for us to obtain freedom from anxiety and to receive the peace of God. And I think all of us in here, want the peace of God, don't we? Especially in the midst of, of, of life's trials, in the midst of health issues, in the midst of family struggles, in the midst of, of, of all of the, the junk that we're faced with at home and at work and at school, within our community, within our country, within our world. We also pray 
because it is a command by God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 again says, pray without ceasing. And when we pray without ceasing, we realize that God wants us to talk with him. Yes, he is all-knowing, but he also desires fellowship with us, his creation. When we seek God's face in prayer, we strengthen our relationship with him. And that is the most important reason as to why we pray, to develop our relationship with God the Father, to strengthen that relationship with God the Father. And I've shared this with you before, and you've heard other preachers talk about this before, but how do we maintain relationships with one another? We communicate with one another, right? The way that I um, continue to, to strengthen my relationship with my wife is we talk daily, okay? We talk sometimes hourly. Why? Because that helps us. That strengthens us. That develops our relationship with one another. And the same is true with God the Father. When we talk with God and when we commune with God, that strengthens our relationship with Him. So Nehemiah, what we see here this morning is he took a deep breath, he prayed, and then he shared. And what's so interesting about what has happened over the past few months is Nehemiah didn't just pray. But Nehemiah also planned, and he prepared, and he figured out all the X's and Y's that need to happen for those walls to get rebuilt. And as we read our focal passage this morning, we see that Nehemiah was well-versed and well-planned well and well-seasoned. Nehemiah had not just prayed about the walls being built. He had formulated a plan for getting the walls rebuilt. Sometimes we wait. God asks us and tells us to wait so that we can develop the plan that God has birthed within us. So Nehemiah, the first thing that Nehemiah realized was this, that if the walls are going to get rebuilt, then they're going to get rebuilt by the person that the vision had been birthed and planted in. So Nehemiah realized that he couldn't be a spectator. He had to be an actual an actual participant in rebuilding those walls. Okay, so Nehemiah knew that he had to be involved. There was a problem, though, okay? Nehemiah lived about a 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. So the, the king says, okay, so you shared with me what needs to happen. What is your plan? And Nehemiah um, shares the plan, and the king says, how long are you going to be gone? And Nehemiah, we're not told how long he told the king that he was going to be gone, but he knew exactly how long he was going to be gone. And he shared that with the king. Nehemiah not only, not only gets permission to go, but he asked this pagan king to provide the supplies needed to rebuild the walls and the gates. He needs letters to ensure safe passage. He needs lumber to rebuild the walls and the gates with. And he also, um, we're told in verse 9, that he gets permission, okay, obviously to have an entourage of people go with him to provide protection against the enemy. This tells me that God can use anyone, regardless of their position within society, to change the world. He can use teachers to change the world. He can use students to change the world. He can use businessmen and businesswomen to change the world. He can use those in the medical profession. He can use white collars, blue collar, and no collar people to change the world, can't he? 
And in, as we see this morning, he can even use people within the government to change the world. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was going to do. He was going to change the world. I love verse 8. Nehemiah wrote these words. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. For the good hand of my God was upon me. When God's hand is on us, things get accomplished, don't they? Walls get rebuilt. Gates get rebuilt. People get rebuilt. God's hand was on Nehemiah, and nothing or no one would be able to stop him from accomplishing the mission that God had appointed to, appointed him to. God's hand is also on you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and you're in this place this morning, then God's hand is on you as well to accomplish the visions that he has birthed in your heart. Know that God gives the vision, but we carry out that vision. God gave Noah a vision of a boat. Did God build that boat? No. Noah built the boat. God gave Moses a vision for a free people. Moses delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh's captivity. God gave Joshua and Caleb a vision of what could be in the promised land, and God rewarded those two men by allowing them to bring the Israelites into the promised land. God gave Peter a vision of what the church could be, and on day one of the church, 3,000 people were added to the kingdom. God gave Paul a vision, a vision for Gentiles to be saved, a vision for kings to be saved, a vision for the Israelites to be saved by Jesus Christ. God gave Martin Luther a vision, a vision for the word of God to be placed into the hands of the people of God. God gave Martin Luther King Jr. a vision, and that vision was for all of God's people, regardless of the color of their skin, skin to gather together and worship together under the same umbrella. God gave Billy Graham a vision, a vision for the nations. God gave Franklin Graham a vision, a vision for the gospel to be placed in the hands of underprivileged children all around the world. And who would have thought that a simple shoebox filled with a few toys could accomplish that God-given mission? If God has given you a vision of what can be, do not be afraid to accomplish it. Also, do not be afraid to ask others to help you. That's what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah recognized the problem. He recognized that something needed to get done. But what did Nehemiah not do? He didn't attempt it on his own. He asked for help. He asked for the king's help. And we're going to see next week he's going to ask for the, the, the men and the women of Jerusalem also to rise up and to help to rebuild those walls. God gives the vision. We carry out that vision. Let us rise up, church. Let us rise up to build where we need to build, to rebuild where we need to rebuild, to go where we need to go, to share with who we need to share with. Let's go where the Lord directs us and do what the Lord has empowered us to do. What God-sized vision has the Lord planted in your heart? What is it that God wants you to accomplish for him? It may be as simple as going across the street, knocking on the door of a neighbor, 
and inviting them to church. It may be as simple as sharing with the neighbor that, that, that shares a locker beside you at school and say, hey, will you come to church with me on Wednesday? We've got this activity that's going on. Or it may be as simple as, as, as calling up a friend on the phone and just saying, hey, God has impressed upon my heart to share with you this morning or this afternoon or this evening about Jesus Christ. It could be as simple as this. God has asked you and told you to pray for somebody. It may be simply praying for somebody and then calling them up on the phone and saying, hey, I prayed for you today. I hope everything's okay. You know, God's visions don't have to be so big that walls need to be rebuilt and gates need to be restored, okay? It could be a simple vision. But guess what? When we're obedient with the small visions, those simple visions, guess what's going to happen? Those visions may get a little bit bigger, okay? You may give, be given a little bit more influence. You may be given greater opportunities to share with more people and to go to more places. I pray for all of us in this room that we will be obedient to the God-sized visions that he has given us and that we'll rise up and we'll accomplish what God has given us to do. You may be here this morning and, and you may have been sitting on a vision um, in, in, in one of two ways. One, you may still be praying for that vision to become, come to fruition. You may be a little bit frustrated at this point because of the days, weeks, months, or years that have gone by. Or you may have been given a vision by God some 20 or 30 years ago, and God has given you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to see that vision become a reality. And you have, you have sat on that vision. Well, the t- time to act may be today. You may be here this morning. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. When we repent of our sins and ask Jesus to forgive us of those sins and cry out to him to be our Lord and Savior, Scripture tells us that we will be saved. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Maybe here this morning you've been visiting this church a while and the Lord is saying, hey, it's time that we become members. And we would love for you to become members this morning. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. When I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the promise of your word. Thank you for stories in your word of faithful men and faithful women that heard your voice and acted upon the words that you have given. Father, I pray now, Lord Jesus, if there's someone in this room that's been sitting on a vision for a long time and you've been telling, providing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for that vision to become a reality, may today be the day that they begin to listen to you and follow through with that vision. Father, there may be some that have been sitting and praying and they're frustrated because things haven't happened yet. Lord, give patience where patience is needed. Father, if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today they will enter into a relationship with you. Father, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.